everybody. Welcome to Guys 5 Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelican. You are listening to episode 5 of The Spin Chagrin. And Frank, last week's category by what, podcast co-host of The Best 30 Minutes and longtime friend, Orion Wellmaker. The category was movie that gave you PTSD or at least traumatized you from your time years ago working at Regal Cinemas. So um, I'm assuming there's a story that goes along with this episode of what the trauma was and a specific movie that you ended up having to watch for the first time. So those things are true. I'm going to tell the story first Mm -hmm. and then go into a description of the movie. Um, Watching the movie may have been just slightly less traumatic than the actual experience itself. (laughs) Um, And this is uh, 25 years in the making. Um, since since this incident occurred and that I've refused to watch this movie as a result. Um, so 1997, I'm a projectionist at uh, the Regal Cinemas in Newark, Delaware, People's Plaza. Um, young at the time, I guess, so I'm like 20 years old at this point, maybe. Um, and part of the job of a projectionist um, in the the old days of projection before everything became digital is that you have to put together the movies and take apart the movies. Um, so old school film comes on thousand foot reels um, or 2000 foot reels. So what you would traditionally consider a movie reel, like if you think of a movie reel, those small uh, circular metal um, discs with the cutouts in them, Mm -hmm. The film sits inside that, and what you do is when you're putting the movie together, you start with your trailer package, so all the stuff that the company says you have to put on the movie, and you're doing, you know, seven to ten minutes of trailers, and then you build the film onto it, starting with the first reel, and then everything is secured together with what's called splicing tape. So basically, you have 2,000 feet of film, and then uh, splice to another 2,000 feet of film of reel two so on and so forth. Most films are four to six reels long. Um, And that's the process of putting together a movie, if you've ever, um, whatever, wondered. So after the movie finishes its theatrical run, you then have to take that movie apart in reverse order and do, you know, take reel six off and then break the tape and then reel five and so forth until you, you know, get to the trailer package and then the trailers basically go in the trash and that's it. That's the end of that movie and you send it out. So 1997, the box office bomb um fire down below is released Damn, uh, september 5th um steven seagal uh action martial arts i don't know intrigue movie mm-hmm. um expected to make a lot more than its 24.5 million box office total so we had it in theaters for maybe three or four weeks you know i think we started with like three prints of it or something and then it eventually dropped down so i'm tasked with taking apart this movie um one day after it's run so it's probably like a friday afternoon so some films instead of coming on the individual 2000 foot metal reels or plastic reels will come on what was called a 6000 foot reel so these were really large thick plastic reels that were pieces of shit and made it incredibly difficult to take apart a movie because they tended to have 
burrs and they didn't really sit on the breakdown machine very well. Um, so I'm taking apart fire down below onto a, you know, one of the 6,000 foot reels, got it spliced on. Back then, that was when our start times were much more condensed. So you basically were starting six, seven movies in very quick procession, one after another, um, to fit in with the four show times a day. So the opening show times like 1230 to 130, then four to five, then seven to eight you know, and then 9.30 to 10.30, and then that's it. Um, so this is during the day, uh, September 97. So I had to go start a bunch of movies, and I had put it on low to start breaking the movie down so I could get a head start on it, and I fucking forgot. So I come back like 30 minutes later, and the entirety of Fire Down Below is on the floor like in a pile because it's just continued to run off of the projector <laughs> in the time I've been gone. And if you've never seen like 10,000 feet of film piled on top of itself on the floor, it's one of the most like Catholian things you've had, like just tendrils of shit everywhere. So I'm a newer projectionist. I've only been a projectionist for maybe like a year at that point. And my answer to fucking this movie up is to get, an empty uh, cup box, you know, like the cups that you get in the movie theater and dump the entirety of the movie in it. Mm. So I pick it up in my arms, dump it in. And my thought is that, well, since I have the head of the first reel, like I know where it is because that's still sort of attached to the um, the projector itself. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start just like pulling this movie out one reel at a time until I get to the... Um, the break in it and then i'll break it and you know it'll be on there backwards which happens sometimes like you'll get reels where you have to rewind the reel before you can wind it onto the like you know make the actual movie um but i figured it wouldn't be too bad so i start to do this and one of the most interesting things about mylar film is that it is nearly impossible to break like you can cut it real easy if you have sharp implements but you can't break that shit like if you try and pull it and we've had done experiments where we'd literally dangled things that weighed, you know, 60, 70 pounds over the side of the building from the roof um, and lowered them down with the film just to see if it would work because uh, we were idiots. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so as this film is winding out of the box, it's binding onto itself and knotting. So basically, as you're pulling it out, huge knots of this movie are coming out of the box with it. And then you have to stop and unwind as many knots as you can and then put it back in the box and start again. Uh huh. Um, so the projectionist that was working after me comes in and I'm like, look, man, I fucked up and I show him what happened. He was like, oh my God, why did you decide to do it like this? We could have just like spread it out on the, you know, the length of the booth and that's what you call the projection booth, the booth spread it out along the length of the booth and unwind it. And it would have taken a little bit, but we could have gotten it done. And I was like, I don't know. I panicked. So for three weeks after this movie was supposed to leave the theater, me and the two other projectionists would have to work like on our like break times to try and break this movie down. And all of us had to work on it. And it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and we would leave each other notes like fire down below is still down below, still not complete. <laughs> so at some point, and the funny thing is, is typically film companies, you know, you would have to send the movie back because the movie would be going into um, 
you know, second run, third run, whatever discount movie house. Um, but no one ever asked for fire down below back. Like I thought I was going to get fired seriously because mm-hmm. prints at that point in time were like two, $3,000 each was the cost of a, like an entire film. And even though fire down below, wasn't like a, you know, a hit movie or anything, there still was a value to the thing. So at a certain point, we all just didn't know what to do. So we started just cutting the movie apart and splicing it back together in as long as strips as we could get. So we ended up making what had to be the most ridiculous Frankenstein monster of a movie ever of with, I swear, probably like 3000, like individual splices in this movie, just trying to get enough to fill the first reel and then like pull the rest up in the second reel. Mm -hmm. So we finally did it. I think like two days before we finished, um, we got a call from one of our bookers. that was like, Hey, do you guys still have a print of fire down below there? I thought we, that run ended a couple weeks ago. We're like, oh yeah, it was sitting in a corner after we broke it down and we forgot to send it back. They were like, all right, like nobody really cares. Just get it back this week. So we got it back and nobody ever said anything. So somewhere, and I'm sure it's probably destroyed at this point. Right. But somewhere there is a print of fire down below. That's probably the most unwatchable thing. I mean, number one, it would fall apart when you try to run it through a projector because that many splices one of them would inevitably break because it's just tape, you know, that's holding the, um, it's, it's tension and tape that holds it together basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that much tension, like on that many different breaks in the movie would cause it to fall apart, but nobody ever said anything. I never got in any trouble. It was like a joke for my entire career at Regal cinemas with the people that knew about it, about fire down below. Um, it's been a joke with us over the course of the time that we've known each other that I brought it up like a number of times. But because of the horror that it caused me and like the stress of trying to like fix it and how long it lasted. I mean, it was like hell for three weeks every time coming in trying to fix this fucking movie. I've never watched Fire Down Below. And I don't particularly care for Steven Seagal anyway. And um, I'm a moderate fan of uh, action movies, but his action movies tend to be terrible. So. So real quick, I just want to ask you, because I have never in my life really seen you stressed, I don't think, like to a, not in an obvious way. I've never seen mm. you like freaking out like ever. I've seen you hit, I've been in the car with you when you hit a deer, like, you know, like, like I, I've seen you in st- stressful situations, but I've never seen you stressed. Like, so is this something like when you first realize what's happened? with this film just laying there in a mess like can you like do you physically react like like what do you like how do you react like when you see that because i've never seen it before i don't think Um, 20 some years like i mean i think i like got a like a like whatever like a hard pit in my stomach and probably broke out in like a cold sweat a little bit but at a certain point, you know, fuck it. What's going to happen? Like, I'm either going to get fired or I'm not going to get fired. And I don't know. I mean, after I talked to the other guys um, and we made some jokes about it and we decided not to tell anybody, like it wasn't, you know, it was a big yeah. deal, but it was like a secret big deal that and nobody else like ever came up on the projection booth. And honestly, the majority of people that work there had no idea what it was even entailed in our job. Mm-hmm. I mean, back then, like being a projectionist was kind of a badge of honor in the movie theater industry because mm-hmm. there were so few people 
that had the competency to be like good projectionists. So if you were a good projectionist, um, they tended to leave you alone because nobody else wanted to go up there and do that job. But I mean, it was the most amazing job. Like just, I don't know. It's so hard to explain like all the privileges of like at the time getting paid, what was a good salary to basically just start movies all day. Um, And we would always kind of make it this air of mystery about, Oh, I don't know. You don't have it in you to be a projectionist, which is bullshit because (laughs) like I could teach you how to thread a movie. I, I, I still know how to, I think like thread a movie through a projector. Um, like a standard whatever um, 24 millimeter projector um but yeah you know i mean like i bought them lunch for helping me a couple times so you know yeah and that was the so when you say like i'm assuming like as a projectionist you largely just started the movies like you know threatened them started them you did all that work but it's like in between the movies is like when things started that's when you would have to work on this i'm assuming Oh, yeah, during that time period. Right. I mean, typically, so... How is your time filled elsewhere? That, that's the thing I don't think I've ever understood about projectionists. How was how your time filled, like, from starting the movies and then those like, the, those intermittent gaps? Like, smoking a lot of cigarettes. Right. Flirting with the concessionists. Um, deciding what we were going to get for lunch and then getting lunch and then eating lunch. Um, uh-huh. Helping the floor managers to count money when it was time to do that. Right. Um, okay. Wasting your t- your life, basically. I mean, like I would read a lot and draw and um, listen to music. You know, we had a pretty decent um, boom box upstairs because, you know, 97. So there was no other way to listen to music, really. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about it. Okay. You know, I mean, it's um, like I said, it's it, it's one of the best jobs you can have in the movie theater industry. And I don't know how it is now because all you're doing is i don't even know if they have an actual projection like hitting a start button anymore sure i'm sure um, you can just hit digital so you can time it if you wanted to probably right and just like hey this is what time it probably should start or yeah and the movies i believe are downloaded to the a hard drive on the um the unit I, I never worked with digital projection so i'm not a super knowledgeable on it but when it was when it was in its like nascent stage and there were some regals that had digital projection at the time that I was still working there. Um, I'm pretty sure that it was just a, like then it was just satellite and they would just download the entire movie. Hmm. It would take a few hours to download and it would be on the hard drive. And then, you know, it would just start and then whatever. I mean, like it's digital. So you don't have to probably have the same power of like um, bulb in the, um, the lamp house you know, to project the film on the screen. Um, Like the bulb that was in. So you remember, do you remember the, um, I can't remember what we called it, but it was the pre-show that Regal would show. Um, And it wasn't on film. It was like projected before the movie and then that would end and then you would start the movie. Yeah, like the early, yeah. Yeah, those were the earliest digital projectors. Mm -hmm. And that was just, I don't know, just a regular bulb in there. Um, it was really bright ball, but it didn't like really generate that much heat. And like a xenon bulb is, I think, like three thousand watts. I mean, those things generate a shitload of heat. And when they explode or they melt, like you can destroy. Like it seriously is like a grenade inside of a movie projector, in an old school film projector, because um, it's gas contained inside that bulb. And that when it strikes, the gas ignites, and that's what causes the bright light that's you know reflected or refracted back through the lens and you know illuminates on the screen but um 
the newer ones like i don't know it's probably on a timer or maybe like somebody has some kind of app or something where they just right. hit start or something like sure. that um but you're not going to have you know film breaks you're not going to have burns or wraps or whatever or thrown prints on the floor i mean all that stuff could happen in any given day with like regular film so it, it was it was the most stress-free job until something went wrong and then it was the most stressful job because you were the only person typically that could fix it um but we were all really i mean i wasn't a very good projectionist at that point but i eventually became like a certified level four through regal projectionist which is like the highest level you can obtain and i could fix projectors and fix any problem with like sound and prints and stuff and i don't know i mean it was yeah. if it was still a career it would be like a decent career but there's obviously nothing nothing left in that except for probably some random art house theaters here and there so sure. anybody listening needs an actual film projectionist i got you i promise i won't like perform a fire down below uh okay cool yeah um all right so fire down below i i haven't seen fire down below so i'm i'm interested in hearing uh what the fuck this movie is about so the premise of fire down below is that Steven Seagal is an EPA agent. Um, badass uh, EPA agent who is sent, whose friend, best friend was sent to Kentucky, you know, the hills of Appalachia, to do an investigation on what they believed was illegal dumping in that was tainting the water table in the Appalachian mountains in this like town in Appalachia. So that guy ends up dead and it's ruled an accidental death, but Steven Seagal knows that there was some um, funny business behind it. So he's sent undercover to Appalachia um, under the guise of sort of like a habitat for humanity thing okay. um, where he's there to, basically pretend to be there to help fix to help the poor people of Appalachia fix their houses and like build houses and stuff. But really his goal is to surreptitiously investigate this illegal dumping. Right. So it's actually like the premise of that fucking Mark Ruffalo movie, like dark water or whatever. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess Steven Seagal was a huge Buddhist and really like a big environmentalist. So I assume it was something that was like close to his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so immediately, as soon as he gets in town, he starts ruffling feathers and I had forgotten how terrible Steven Seagal was in general until watching this movie. Cause I really haven't had much experience, but everything Steven Seagal says sounds like this. Mm -hmm. And it's all at a really low monotone voice level. And he's very, very, very slow when he talks. So you get that for half the movie with him saying like these ridiculous, like fucking supposedly like badass lines. So anyway, so he starts causing trouble and immediately like everyone in the town is like, oh, <clears throat> the bad guys in the town, which are run by Chris Christopherson, um, hmm. who I thought was Tom Skerritt <clears throat> the whole time I was watching the movie. I was like, man, why does Tom Skerritt look so old? But it was really Chris Christopherson, um, who's um executive for this large like petrochemical company 
that's decided to dump their chemical waste into the old unused mines of Appalachia. And they're basically paying off all the people in this town to kind of turn a blind eye to it. Um, because paying off an entire town to pay someone to dump your waste in a mine is, I guess, more less expensive than actually just disposing of it properly. But that's right. the nefarious deed that's occurring. Um, so Steven Seagal starts asking questions and then Chris Christopherson's son, who's this like mealy mouth, like Jared Leto looking dude, um, gets his goons to kind of like try and rough Steven Seagal up, but Steven Seagal can never come out on the wrong end of a fight, like, or even be at a disadvantage in a fight. So he's just like beating the shit out of everybody and basically murdering people, um, under the auspices that he's an EPA agent and he has authority. Right. Um, including telling a sheriff one time that you want to arrest me, I'm going to arrest you. We'll arrest each other because I've got authority over your authority and I don't recognize your authority anyway. Jesus. Um, <clears throat> so there's a bunch of like brawls and shit and oh, you can't kill them. You can't kill another EPA agent, even though they already like easily killed another EPA agent at the beginning of the movie. <clears throat> so um they try and do things like a couple of the toughs that work in this gang. there's only like three people in this gang by the way until all of a sudden there's like 40 people because the plot demands that steven's like all beat up like 40 dudes sure. with shotguns and machine guns mm -hmm. so one of the things they do is they put rattlesnakes in his house but then steven Seagal uses his like zen patience to pick the rattlesnakes up and put him in a box and then he puts the rattlesnakes in the truck of the guys that put him in his his house um he gets in a couple of brawls he beats up kane hotter um the guy that played jason i guess was kane hotter yeah, that's yeah. um starting in like five or six or something like that. yeah uh beats him up um there's this weird subplot where there's this woman that no one in town will talk to and this is like completely <laughs> like outside of anything else that's happened but um marg oh, what is her name I marg Hel helgenberger yeah um so there's a subplot where steven seagal becomes attracted to her and he starts talking to her but she's like you don't want to have anything to do with me because no one in town does because everybody thinks she killed that she killed her dad but it turns out it was really her psychotic brother that killed their dad because their dad was molesting her mm. um but it's only because the psychotic brother wants to molest her too um, so then he gets all angry that her and Steven Seagal are making eyes at each other, but then they become a couple. Um, and then you think the brother is like a good guy, but then the brother turns out to be like the double agent that's working for Chris Christopherson. So there's a scene where like the brother leads Steven Seagal into this mine and there's all these like pristine blue barrels that are filled with toxic waste because they're not actually dumping in the mine. They're just storing it in the mine, which also doesn't make any sense because, the fuck like why is it getting into the water table if it's just sitting there in buckets but then they get in this big fight and steven seagal disarms like three dudes in a row with like shotguns that are pointed at him and they start shooting the buckets and the buckets start shooting this like toxic avenger like green slime all over everybody and so people's like skin is burning off and then the brother does something that causes a chain reaction that makes the mine collapse. So basically all of Chris Christopherson's men are dead at this point because they were in the mine. Um, so then Steven Seagal calls the FBI and he's talking to his buddy in the FBI. He's like, Hey, I need to put Marg in fucking witness protection because she'll, cause still no one's willing to dime out Chris Christopherson, even though all of his dudes are dead. Right. Um, but like, she'll like 
you know, she'll be state's witness. So it turns out the FBI guy is corrupt. So he sends two of his corrupt FBI agents to come like put the girl in witness protection. And for no reason, like as they're driving away with her in the car, Steven Seagal turns around and like see like looks at one of the dudes and is like, oh, and then gets in his fucking blazer and starts chasing him. Um so then they get to this like gas station and oh, they get they get doused. So yeah, I think it was a blazer. Or, I'm like, sure it like was. Or a suburban, maybe. It's I don't the right know. time period, a blazer. Um, so they get doused. like the the one bad guy gets knocked unconscious, and then the other bad guy, who I think is Travis Tritt or Randy Travis. I don't I can never remember They're which both one in of the those movie, is I which. Think, so yeah, so it's one of them. Um, he takes Marg captive and they go into this like crowded it's Randy like, Travis. Okay. So they go in this crowded truck stop restaurant. Yeah. And Steven Seagal is just like shooting at him all of a sudden because now he has a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, so he ends up killing Randy Travis and then he comes out and Randy Travis's partner is like come to and he's all covered in gas. And so how oh, fuck how does the sequence of events goes? So he's got a gun named Steven Seagal. So Steven Seagal lights um a road flare and throws it at him mm. and he's like oh and then he catches the road flare and then steven seagal shoots the road flare to put it out um because i guess he doesn't want like the guy to explode or something but then he does explode i don't remember why that happens interesting that's interesting considering how many he doesn't <laughs> want him to explode yeah, you know, I mean, because there's innocent people there. It's just a truck stop, but I guess it doesn't matter in the end because it's cool to see the dude like catch on fire. That's not the fire down below. The fire down below is the toxic chemicals in the mines that are below the hills of Appalachia. Sure. And Steven Seagal loves it because it's God's country and it's beautiful and it makes him feel at peace and he's in love with this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they go to Chris Christopherson's casino because he owns a casino. Um, and he comes in with a warrant because oh, so at one point he's like he's like something you can't arrest me and he's like i can't arrest you because i quit the epa mm. and so then you think that he's just like this rogue agent for a while but then he goes into chris christopherson's place and he's like remember when i said i quit the epa that was a lie i'm still in the epa mm. um i i don't know that any movie has ever said epa as much as fire down below so I mean, I guess if you want to feel good about yourself, like working for the EPA, watch that because it makes you look like a badass. Right. Um, so Steven Seagal beats the shit out of all of Christopher Safferson's men. And then him and his two EPA or no, his two FBI buddies that are like legit FBI buddies, not like the bad guys. They come in to arrest Christopher Safferson. Christopher Safferson pulls a gun on one of them and shoots one of them. He kills him. So then Steven Seagal takes a gun and shoots Christopher Safferson in the shoulder. And he's like, you might think I'm a bad shot, but I also might be a really good shot because you're getting 30 years in jail. Um, so then he goes, oh, no, this is when he says, okay, so he doesn't tell Chris Christopherson he quit, that he quit the F- EPA. He tells the bad FBI agent to quit the EPA. And then he comes, like, they're there at this mine. They're there in Appalachia or whatever. <clears throat> and that guy's there, and he comes in, and he's like, you're under arrest. And that guy's like, you have no authority. I outrank you. And he's like, remember when I said I quit the EPA? I did it. I'm still with the EPA. Hmm. And you're under arrest. So then that guy hmm. gets arrested. Um, because his two flunkies are dead. Uh, so one of the best things about this movie is nothing. Um, but 
I don't know if you recall Steven Seagal from this era, but he always was oh, yeah. wearing these like thigh length, like dusters all the time, mm-hmm. like leather dusters. So in this movie, he has no less than like six different thigh length leather dusters, even though he's supposed to be this like kind of like root rootsy volunteer that's there in Appalachia helping these people fix their houses. And he does like fix a bunch of things in people's houses to his credit. Um, but he's got like this one that's like this six color leather duster with all these different like swatches of like leather stitched together that he looks like, um, I don't know, like a monochrome peacock or something. And then he's got one that's like really like thick, like rich brown leather and then a black leather one. And then he's got one that's like wool, even though I think it's summer or something, but he's always walking around in his jacket. Um, yeah, when he's, when, he, he's, when he's not dressed anymore, he still does that a lot, I think. I, I think to this day, like, wears those dusters a lot. Like, it's just, like, some kind of fashion thing. Ex- unless, except when he's wearing, like, one of those, like, one-piece, like, shirt-type things that just, Oh, like, he hang- does that, too. Yeah. Cause, so there, there's, there's one time where he's walking across the street, and he looks like... I don't know, um, <clears throat> like a monk or something, like a Shaolin monk. Yeah, because he's just like like the sleeves are a little too long, so you can only see the tips of his fingers, and then mm-hmm. it's just this really long black shirt and these really tight black pants. Yeah, um, you know, because he's inconspicuous because he's undercover. <laughs> um, I mean, there's so many different like little scenes where it's um. <clears throat> I don't know him saying something like threatening and then somebody swinging at him and him beating him up or there's like six cops that all have their guns drawn on him and he disarms all six and then beats him up. Um, and that's when he says like, if you arrest me, I'll arrest you. I have the authority of the EPA. And I was wondering the whole time and I didn't look this up because it was only a passing thought. I don't particularly care. So you don't need to research this, but Mm -hmm. Does the EPA have that kind of authority to just like like carte blanche to just arrest people? I mean, isn't it like fines and like long term like lawsuits and stuff, and not just like gun toting badasses? Um, Maybe yeah, I, I mean I I, I I think they have probably special agents like a special kind of like task force that maybe does have those powers potentially, but I have a feeling that it's like. It's nothing like what you just described in this movie. Like not even a little bit. Well, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be completely honest with you. Aside from him saying repeatedly that he's so actually there are some scenes where he does some things that you would think an EPA agent would do. And that's early in the movie where I was like, what the fuck is this movie gonna be? Where he's like got his pH kits and he's like testing the water and you know, like putting his hand out and like taking a little taste of it to see if he can. Like, he's doing all this stuff, and then people are watching him like, oh, what's this guy doing? And that's, like, 15 minutes into the movie, so he's not even, like, really been undercover for... So they show the death of his friend um, in monochrome, and they don't really show it. They just show, like, an overhead view of, like, a body floating in the water. And then they later flash back to him talking to his friend where he's, like... Oh, you're going right back into undercover and his friends like yeah but when i get out we're gonna go hunting and fishing steven skull's like yeah that's the right idea and then his friend is dead so they're never gonna hunt and fish again but then steven skull falls in love with appalachia 
and Marg Helgerberger or whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's it. That's the movie. Yeah. So there is, of course, like the circumlocution of the government, um, the Office of Enforcement and Compliance Assurance, the AECA, uh, is the law enforcement arm of the EPA. It itself has eight different part, eight different departments, um, and they have a CID department, which looks like, from my very quick searching, that that is probably the investigative element, like gun-toting element of the EPA is the CID of the AECA, O-O-E-C-A. Um, so I've yeah, apparently, maybe, maybe there's like dudes that are out there just like arresting people. I have a feeling that you don't have rogue OECA agents. Well, no, he's there. not a rogue. He's doing well, exactly I, what his, his boss told him to do. Oh, his boss is like all, all for it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's all on board with what Steven Seagal is doing because oh, okay. he's... He's carrying out righteous environmental protection justice. <laughs> the only people that aren't gotcha. on board are the corrupt FBI agents that are in the pocket of Chris Christopherson. Oh, okay. Or Tom Skerritt, depending on what time you ask me. Oh, okay, um, so th- so so this movie portrays the entirety of the EPA as this like rogue element that just has carte blanche to do anything they need to do in order to. Do- protect yeah, the man. environment they're they're mother nature's protectors motherfucker like sometimes you got to shoot a guy that's like you know dumping some chlorine into a stream oh, or right sure it's it's um no wonder he immigrated to russia i guess but yeah it's funny it's the same thing my dad said um <laughs> so this was directed by a guy named uh, uh felix alcala um who never directed another theatrical movie again after fire down below i saw um just a bunch of tv for Uh, he's he's had a pretty accomplished career in television oh sure huge amount of um television and to be honest with you okay so pulling some like positives out of this number one it's hilarious to watch because steven seagal is quite possibly the worst leading man that ever headlined several I was going through just quickly. Have you? How many other movies have you seen of his? Just I got to look it up because as I was saying that, I was like, I don't fucking know anything that this man been in. Glimmerman. Glimmerman. I never saw Glimmerman, so I I haven't seen anything past Executive Decision as the last movie that I've ever seen of his. All right, let's look this motherfucker up. (sighs) Oh, he's a seventh Dan Black Belt. Oh my God, the Steven Seagal karate, or I guess Aikido, because that's what he does. Aikido mm-hmm. shit in this movie is fucking out of control. Like, part of me was really enjoying certain elements of this movie just from the aspect that, like, this Alcala guy, like, films the, the fights really well. So it's the opposite of what your complaint usually is in, like, martial arts segments of movies mm-hmm. where the camera's cutting too much, you don't really see anything. Sure. Like, it is languorously focusing on Steven Seagal's martial arts expertise. Mm-hmm. So you see every hip toss and palm strike and fucking wrist bend yeah. takedown or whatever. I mean, that they 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 love showing Steven, Steven Frederick Seagal um, in his, you know, at his peak. Yeah. 
Um, he also sings a song in this movie. Yes. Called Fire Down Below. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really bad. Uh, I can't remember how it goes, but I was Does listening. Does it meet like, the movie in some way? The, the lyrics, do you remember? Even if you don't oh, remember of course. the lyrics? Oh, okay. I'm going to look up the lyrics in a second. I'll try and sing it to you. Okay. Um, so let's see. I've seen. I've seen, a, <laughs> um, I've seen Above the Law. I've seen Hard to Kill. I've seen Mark for Death. Yep. Um, I've seen Under Siege. Yep. I've seen Under Siege 2 on, the, on Dark Territory. Yeah. I've seen Executive Decision and Glimmer Man. I have now seen Fire Down Below. You Thank didn't God. see it on Deadly Ground? No, I didn't see that. Really? That movie's hilarious. You should watch that movie. Um, That's my favorite Seagal movie for being funny. The Patriot? Is that the Mel Gibson no. Patriot? Nope. Oh, okay. No, sir. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Nope. I don't believe I've seen any other Steven Seagal movies. But now, got to make sure that you don't get any ideas in your head because um, this is not going to happen after a... Uh, after the spin chagrin is over. Oh my god, there's so many. Yes. He's the he's, problem. He's got the like problem a is, Bruce Willis thing gone. Like you would get like he acts in every single one. Oh no, I'm sorry. He's what is Dragon this, Squad. Dragon Squad, yeah, yeah. Producer. Um, at least with Nick Cage, like one out of three was like a good like watching experience and even the bad ones were mostly entertaining, but man, I don't think I could sit through any more Steven Seagal movies. <laughs> Let me look up the lyrics to Fire Down Below. So, I we could like make fun of Steven Seagal, I think, for probably a long time. But you were talking about his acting style. Do you think he saw a Marlon Brando movie and missed all the subtlety? Of Brando's acting and just thought if you talked with the kind of like low like voice like he just saw Apocalypse Now and was like that's what I want to do because that's what it reminds me of it reminds me of like a bad imitation of Brando in certain roles that's got to be who he's emulating right you don't think it's like a combination of Eastwood and Bronson mm, it could be yeah, like there is a, there's some Eastwood in there. That's kind of what I get is the um the whisper. The man with no name type of like he's the he's the guy that's got like some moral ambiguity, but he always falls on the side of right and the 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 kind of low calm whisper, yes. I think the slowness in which Seagal speaks has to be some kind of Brando type thing. There's like a timber to his voice that reminds me very much of like Brando in certain roles. But yeah, I can see the whisper stuff being more Eastwood. Uh, so in the unofficial Steven Seagal <laughs> webpage, deep research. That's probably not true. It's probably fake news. It's part of the deep state, this website you're on right now. I don't know. Apparently, it doesn't have any lyrics. He's just like saying words or something. <laughs> I only knew that um, there was a song because apparently, Worst Couple, like nominated for a Razzie, Worst Couple was Steven Seagal and his guitar in that movie. So there's there's a scene. 
the scenes in this movie are so convoluted and they don't exist for any reason other than to glorify Steven Seagal. So there's a scene where um, there's the annual like hoedown fucking fest or something. I don't know. I can't remember what the purpose of it is, but there's like a big party that everybody in the town goes out to. And Chris Christopherson um, knows that Steven Seagal is going to be there. So he's like, I'm going to go finally talk to this dude and basically tell him to back off. So he shows up and gets out of his limo. And um, this is going to be a weird reference. Do you remember watching It Came From Somewhere Else? Um, yeah. The movie last year? Yeah. yeah. So you know when the mayor gets out of the car and he's like, chicklets, chicklets for everyone. And they're like, he wasn't campaigning very hard. So right. that's that's what Chris Christopherson does here is he gets out of his car and he's like, free casino passes for everybody and they're like but like he's poisoning their land you know i mean so Uh they're all just a bunch of fucking like sellout bitches um so anyway so they're dancing and partying and he tells chris christopherson to fuck off with his like bribe because that's Chris Christopherson's thing is like hey like you know why don't you come work for me like i'll pay you and he's like no i work for the epa um so then chris christopherson's kid like poor man's jared leto um tries to fight steven seagal and steven seagal like beats beats him and his friends up Mm -hmm. and then is like and is getting ready to leave with uh marg huggerberger and he's like oh this music is moving to me so he like takes a guitar from some old man and he's sitting there playing guitar with like the band um because i guess he plays guitar in real life so he's got a you know i mean really what it is is it's like it's like an advertisement for steven seagal's like only fans like this is like all the content you're gonna get and it's basically like beating each other up and him playing guitar and um really bad like misappropriations of like zen cohen's and homilies and that's that's it that's his brand yeah, well, I mean, he's selling it here. Yeah. See, this is the thing is you you watch the worst version of On Deadly Ground. Like On Deadly Ground, only worse in the sense that On Deadly Ground is probably funnier because he directed it. Oh. And but um but with a better cast who underperforms and is really terrible in it too, including Michael Caine, Joan Chen, John C. McKinley in an early role, and Arlie Ermy. It's like it is like filled with like fucking high name actors and it's fucking terrible. Um, this dude was... but it's the same thing, it's an environmental action adventure movie. <laughs> so it's really hard. Uh, is that the one that takes place in Alaska? It is. So I swear to God, for years, I thought I had actually seen Fire Down Below because I have seen parts of that movie. Mm-hmm. Because when this movie started and they were like in the wilds of Appalachia, I was like, what? Where's Alaska? So, yeah, yeah. That, that, that makes a lot more sense now. And then I was like, why did I think this took place in Alaska? Um, I have seen parts of that movie then. Yeah. Here's the thing is there was a lot of, I mean, when Glimmer Man came out, we opened Glimmer Man on like four screens and we had it in our two largest auditoriums. And I know that like not much came out at the same time, but that's a pretty big deal when the film company at that point in time is willing to invest that much into producing physical film for your movies to put it out and like thinking they're going to get their money back. And uh, I think Glimmerman's opening weekend was like $6 million or something like that. 
Uh, I mean, it's, I mean not, uh, it's not good. Yeah, I'm not sure about opening weekend. 20, 20 million total. Um, it deba- de- debuted at number two, apparently, that uh, behind the first Wives Club. Let me tell you that Glimmerman Weekend is one of my best memories of working in the movie theater industry hmm. because we had so many people on to handle the volume of Glimmerman. And I remember standing in the lobby, it was like 7.15 on a Friday night, and there were two people in the lobby that weren't employees that were like waiting in line for concession and thinking like, oh my God, this movie, because I think fucking Glimmerman came out in the uh, October, so it was still warm outside. Um, Because I remember like we just went outside and like out front and like smoked and like waited for nobody to come. It was really nice. Um, Yeah. Damn, that was my first year working at the movie theater. Huh. 96. I probably got to go home early that night, too. <laughs> um, Because I wouldn't have been a manager yet. I didn't become a manager until 97. Hmm. So, yeah. So, so, after, so, after, so, after, like, the fucking fuck-up of 97 with this movie, you became a manager that same year? You had to be a manager to be a projectionist. I was already. Oh, a okay, gotcha. I just spent most of my shifts in the projection booth. Gotcha, and so and hitting all okay coworkers. Yeah. So we made right. seven seventy five an hour as management oh. at that point, and I probably worked seventy hours a week because there was no control over like what we did, and nobody else wanted to work in the projection booth. So we would come in and just like I would just work like six days a week you know 10 12 hours a day and still just go and get fucking drunk like every night like it was amazing and i was making you know time and a half because i was an hourly employee you said so. you were making 775 is that what you just said? Yeah, yeah 775 in 1997 that was like the salary for a, an assistant manager right mm-hmm. yeah um okay so Hours, alright. Time times twelve. Just trying to figure this out. So, what you're describing then as an assistant manager in 1997 is you're making twenty six thousand dollars a year. Um, it was a good wage. Let's see. That was that was a lot of money for somebody that didn't have any responsibility. Sure. So I'm I'm looking. Um, purchasing some power to the day is roughly forty five thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so forty five k's you can live on decently. Like, well, I don't know about some things now, but it's like it's probably not, not ter- anymore. It, it's 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 not a terrible salary. I mean, it's a middle class salary. I mean. So, I mean, the only expenses I had were, um, I was living with, where was I living at the time? I guess I was living in Delaware, I guess. And it was, I had my car payment and my rent and that was it. And my rent was like $300 a month and my car payment was like $150 a month. Sure. And plus, like, whatever. I mean, I probably was had, you know, cigarettes seven, cost you like a dollar or thirty five. Oh my god, something. Yeah, like sometimes yeah. ninety cents a pack if you got mm-hmm. them on sale. Sure. Um, I mean, I probably had you know five six hundred dollars in disposable income every month, 
back right. then and it would just go to booze and i would like drink yeah oh man i used to be able to drink so much too um but yeah it was a good time yeah all right so, so we're never going to talk about steven seagal ever again probably right is my guess uh, i can't imagine we are no man probably not all right so let's just quickly i just want to spend five minutes real quick in because you don't really care for his movies we're probably never going to talk about him again so i want you to just indulge me for like you know i, I won't spend any more than five minutes just on quickly like recapping what a piece of shit steven seagal is as a person so this is the last movie that he does with kane hotter this is the third and last movie um hotter and gene labelle and a few other stuntmen um all criticized him for taking liberties during the fights and getting cheap shots in um to the point where it's like uh this has been like a like consistent thing where it's like seagal is like just a dude who's this asshole um and Leguizamo apparently claimed like during executive decision it seems that um in retaliation for laughing at him Seagal like knocked him into a brick wall like this dude is just a fucking bully first of all um it gets worse than that in that from the very early 90s he's accused of sexual harassment including Jenny McCarthy in Under Siege 2 saying that Seagal asked her to undress for the audition. So basically, he's like a casting couch extraordinaire. Um, Portia de Rossi during the Me Too um, movement accuses him also of saying that um, it's important that they have chemistry off screen before he started unzipping his pants. Mm. Uh, and these just allegations continue throughout his entire fucking career of just like wrongful termination suits over sexual harassment because he people, women wouldn't put out and shit like that. Um, so he's he's a pretty big piece of shit there as well. Um, I thought it was funny just looking just looking at Wikipedia. It, it, it's funny because somebody somebody knows. It's, he says that he enjoyed working with Helgenberger. And the quote is, while I don't think she's a physical, spectacular, drop-dead gorgeous woman, at the same time, she's a spectacular actress. Her performance was wonderful. Um, so, yeah, so the dude's a bully. The dude's a sex, uh, sexually assaults women, um, or at least attempts to. I'm sure he has. But as a... The, the last thing I had to say, and that's not even counting the fact that, like, basically he's, oh, I did find something funny about the Russia stuff, though, because he's, like, immigrated to Russia now because he's all about Putin. I did see something that I think is absolutely hilarious, is that he claims he's, like, really good friends with Putin, but Putin has distanced himself, apparently, from Seagal, and one of Putin's people said that he thinks he's seen a few of his he's seen a few of his movies. <laughs> so even Putin doesn't want to be associated with Steven Seagal very closely. But as a as a callback to last week, there's a connection to the Gambino mob family. 
with Steven Seagal that I found, which I think is interesting in that his longtime friend and producer of these early movies, including this movie, Fire Down Below, they like became like quote brothers, but then they had a falling out. And this guy, like, um, what's his name? Hold on. Julius Nasso thinks that Seagal owes him money. So they ended their partnership in 2000. Nasso goes to the Gambino crime family and is like, hey, I want you to get this money back from Seagal. So this captain goes and like visits Seagal on the set of Exit Wounds and tries to get the money back from him. They end up going to his house later. Like, you know, eventually Seagal reaches out to another captain who was in prison at the time in Jersey and pays $10,000 for a meet. So this guy can act as a peacekeeper with the Gambino family. Um, and yeah, so I just thought that was like interesting. Um, about the whole thing. Eventually, like, um, it went to court, like this NASA guy ended up pleading guilty to extortion <laughs> for this whole incident with him enlisting the Gambino family. And he was sentenced to a year in prison, like order mental health counseling, find some money. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So Seagal apparently like was like, getting the rundown from the Gambino crime family. Nice. Um, and during that time, still under the leadership of uh, John Gotti. So. So here's, here's a good Seagal factor. You ready? Yeah. In 2017, Seagal collaborated with former chair of the Arizona Republican party, Tom Morrissey in writing a self-published conspiracy thriller novel, the Way of the Shadow Wolves, colon, The Deep State and the Hijacking of America, which featured a Tohano Shadow Wolf tracker working for U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement to foil a plot by Mexican drug cartels and the quote-unquote Deep State to smuggle in Islamist terrorists to the United States to the U.S.-Mexico border. I think that tells you everything you need to know about, um, you know, Steven Seagal, so. Yeah. Oh, I just saw another thing during his stump work before he was an actor. Here's an interesting note. In 1983, Never Say Never Again, the Bond movie, he was the martial arts instructor. He was uncredited, of course, because he's just the instructor. Seagal accidentally broke Sean Connery's wrist during production. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so a bully who abuses co-workers... Potential rapist, definitely someone who sexually harasses consistently throughout the course of 20 years of his life. A guy who believes in the deep state then <laughs> and writes books about deep state conspiracies and probably to Russia and pretends he's best friends with him <clears throat> when he's not. Probably writing that book for no reason other than in the hopes that it would get optioned into a movie that he could then star in. So. <laughs> probably. Sure. Um, no, I didn't even look at that. That's actually a what whether that book became a movie. Well, because it has its own, um, it has its own uh wiki page. So, the cover to The Way of the Shadow Wolves, colon, <laughs> The Deep State and the Hijacking of America. I see it. <laughs> describe it, describe Ste it. 
is Steven Seagal um, standing in relief of a wolf that you can see its eyes like glowing yellow in the background and they're angry. And he's wearing a frocked leather jacket with a denim shirt and the biggest belt buckle ever. Um, and the most crazy Hollywood Hulk Hogan paint on beard with like orange sunglasses. Yes. Oh, do you know who wrote the foreword to the way of the shadow wolves colon the deep state and the hijacking yeah, who, of America? Who? Who? Uh, Sheriff Joe Aparo, Ap- 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 or however you say that. Oh, uh, yeah. Aparo. Yeah. Aparo, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. The book's reception has been overwhelmingly negative. At Politico, Nathan Rabin called it a Fox News fever dream and the socio political equivalent of reefer madness in terms of unintentional laughs, saying that he was confident no ghostwriter had contributed because the book was so. Adorably incompetent and inept. It's hard to imagine that a professional writer had anything to do with it. Uh, I want to read this book now. The most ridiculous character of Native Americans as vessels of pure spirit living in perfect harmony with the Lord I've ever seen or read. It would almost be impossible to exaggerate the book's racism, stupidity, or amateurish writing. And thus it is utterly beyond satire or parody. That sounds amazing. The Phoenix, the Phoenix New Times called it garbage, with interactions between the characters that were breathtakingly bad, dialogue-heavy scenes where it was hard to follow who was even speaking, and fight scenes that were even more boring than the dialogue. Well, here's the thing: is like, I wonder if this on my. They're just part plus. of the deep state. Fuck! I even forgot what this book was called. The Way of the Shadow Wolves. Like the Way of uh, the Shadow Wolves: The Deep State and the Hijacking of America. It's important. It's important to get that colon in there. Of course, it's a fucking Maricopa County. Oh, there it is. Oh man, it's not um, not, not oh shit. So here's here's the funny thing. Is it on Audible? No. Um. So Kindle says this app does not support the purchasing of this content. <laughs> um yeah it's probably because like you know neil young like probably like threatened to like take like his autobiography off of it or something that's fine i support everything (laughs) fucking stephen gall it's a seagal making me like fucking talk shit hold on let's see you're fine. Can you get this shit on Kindle? Yeah, I'd have to buy it through Amazon though. It's it two ninety nine on Kindle. App. I've already spent two ninety nine on this goddamn movie. You can make you can, me. You can you can say sit there and say like it says here read with the free Kindle app. Oh, so you need a Kindle to read it for free. Gotcha. Okay. I'm um I'm gonna go to the library this weekend and see if I can check out the way of the Shadow Wolves <laughs> colon. <laughs> Uh, go to the Rising Sun Library. I'm sure that they'll probably. Nah, have oh yeah, that's that's an inside joke. Um, I'm gonna go to new. Uh, I'm gonna go to new. Um, Northeast Library right up on the right up right up the road. They might have it. It's possible there. Um, I wonder if they have a website. Well, who am I, I kidding? If, Fucking Elkton probably has it. 
Elkton, just so everybody knows the inside joke, like for locals, Elkton is the more like kind of like, I guess, like liberal democratic like part of our county, like where everywhere else is like, you know, kind of like more traditionally conservative. Um, yeah, they ain't saying much. Um, Northeast Public Library. Right, so Rising your- Sun was the former home, like in the county of the Klan at one point, which is why I make that joke about <clears throat> up until 1994, five, something like that, right? I mean, there, there, was, there were, was still Klan activity. Like, I mean, well, there was Klan pamphlets delivered, like, we had a, a few years ago, like in Rising Sun area. So, so we had, um, we had a a clan march outside of the movie theater during the opening of ghosts of mississippi i think okay um but they weren't allowed on the property and so they had to march around the bus stop that was across the street from the movie theater yeah like in our county just so everybody understands like in elkton which is like the the biggest like town in this county and is like the more like diverse and like um like kind of like probably like democratic leaning like liberal leaning it's like the clan marched through our main street in 1994 93 94 like the clan like petitioned and marched down main street um like what three years before this fucking four years before this movie came out like so we're talking 25 years ago the clan is still like active to some degree in this area not like Mississippi burning, like where it's like the sixties. I saw um cross burning when I was a kid. Really? Mm-hmm. Where was that at? Rising Sun somewhere. I don't know. I mean, I was too young to really know like where I was. Hmm. That's a crazy story. I didn't I I don't think I ever heard that. No, I don't know. I mean it's a very vague memory at this point. Yeah, we also had um pretty active skinheads. Um, yes, that was in uh when I was in middle school and high school mm-hmm. in this area. So what else you got tonight? Oh, you need you need the chagrin number, right? I do need the chagrin number. Yeah, I don't know if I have much tonight, but it's like yeah, I do I do need the chagrin number. Yeah. Um. So the chagrin for the actual, um actual ptsd event is immeasurable um <laughs> it, it's it in my working career it's some of the most chagrin i've ever felt in my life um and was colossally embarrassing at the time and yeah um the movie itself is like a seven i don't know i mean it's not it, it made me laugh a number of times and not because I was laughing with it, obviously, but laughing at it. But still, you know, I mean, like, it's 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 good to laugh now and then, right? Because I can't do it at a comedy. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so seven. Gotcha. All right. Um, I have a... Okay, let's follow up with this before we move on to anything else. So... This incident with the film, you said it's like mm. one of the like the most like embarrassing and kind of like you know things that happen to you in your career or whatever. Does does this make you? Because you tend to 
if you feel like at least the way that you talk about your job as long as i've known you you tend to feel like someone who tends to go above and beyond well i know you are someone that goes above me on and does things you don't have to do and stuff like that but it's like does this make you a perfectionist in some way does this help to work towards making you some sort of perfectionist that like is constantly like making sure that shit gets done because of something like this um yeah i mean i didn't have a very good work ethic much up until this time um i think this is part of like the formation of my like really strong so number one the one thing that gets beat into you in the movie theater industry is you do not call out like you better be there every single shift because there's not enough people anyway and no one else is going to do your job and if you don't show up no one's going to watch a movie and the world's going to end so right that's part of it and then yeah like stuff like this i mean i was kind of like i don't know i mean i never made that mistake again i'll tell you that sure oof i i would I'm actually just, i'm just wondering is this the origin story of work frank to some degree Work Frank isn't quite in existence yet at this point. That's what I'm saying. Is this the origin story for nah. Work Frank? No. Nah, it's it's no. it's 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 a couple years away. Okay. All right. Work Frank is more uh 2000 probably okay. 99 2000. Okay. Right. It was when I was working at um when I started working at Brandywine, I guess, when I got promoted mm-hmm. and I was uh, um a senior manager in a couple. So I was at uh Newtown square Edgemont theater. And then at Brandywine is a senior manager. And that's probably the true like okay. origin story of work, Frank. And what did I see? I saw Spider-Man. I, I only saw a couple movies, I think maybe two or three movies while you worked there. Cause you saw that, attack of the clones. I definitely saw attack of the clones, but I think I, we watched Spider-Man right before that. No, like, you while watched you Insomnia were, before. Nah, no, I oh, no, I watched Insomnia without you. Right. Yeah, it was Spider Man. You guys watched Spider Man. Yeah, we watched Spider Man like while the theater was still open, and then we all watched Attack of the Clones. And I think I came up for something else, and I can't remember what it was for anyone. Um, after work, though, I think. Um, Road to Perdition? No. No, I, I watched, watched that there. No, I watched that at Chuck's house on DVD. Um, no, I can't remember what it is, but. But I definitely remember watching Spider-Man and really liking it. And then we had Attack of the Clones and it was just god awful. Although funny at times. Um, right. All right. So all, all I got this week is I just want to say that I've held off on it for a few months. Um, uh-oh. Only, only Murders in the Building, which is a Hulu series with Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. I started watching it last night after I finished a really good movie that Frank told me about, which is called What Lies Beneath on Netflix. Um, that no, I really no, 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 no. What Lies Below. What Lies Below, sorry. Right. Okay. Yeah, right. Yes. Oof. Very, very, very different movie. Yes. <laughs> um, what Lies Below, which is a good movie. I really liked it. It's a good horror movie. And, um, but I started watching it last night. I already, it's only like each episode is 25 to 30 minutes um and it's only 10 episodes really funny comedy series it's like steve martin 
as a really great straight man, Martin Short as toning it down, not going way over the top with anything, but still like quirky as hell. Um, and Gomez, who really impressed me, who I haven't seen her in anything really, I think ever. And um, really funny story about like these two older aging, you know, industry types who live in the same apartment building as Gomez, who's a young up and coming fashion person, but they all listen to the true crime podcast and start try decide after a murder in the building happens to go ahead and start their own true crime podcast. Um, really funny, great kind of like exploration of the idea of fame, um, a, a kind, but pointed, statement on the idea of like people that are obsessed with true crime which i can be at times so even even though like i am like you know i still like got the joke and can appreciate it like even though like it's making fun of probably me at sometimes um but yeah i thought it was a really funny series and um i know there's a season two i kind of wish the ending is so shocking that it's like i kind of wish it would have ended where it ended but uh, yeah, no, I, I really recommend it if you are a fan of comedy, like sitcoms. Like it's not a traditional sitcom. Like imagine it's it's more something that would be on like HBO or something like that, probably more than anything. But yeah, it's really good. Steve Martin, um, all three principles are really good. Uh, Tina Fey's in it, like in a cameo for half the episodes. Um, a number of people that you would recognize from Tina Fey shows are like are like in the series, like as minor mm. characters. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a really good series, and um, I really enjoyed it a lot. And it like few things make me laugh out loud anymore in terms of sitcoms. Um, it's rare, even things I really like a lot of times don't make me laugh out loud that much. Like, I really love The Righteous Gemstones on HBO right now. I think it's hilarious as this kind of comedic companion piece, the secession. And, um, but yeah, it, it made me laugh out loud, like, every episode at least a few times, largely from fucking Martin Short, probably, more than anything, who, in his subdued state, like, still just nails every line that he delivers. Um, probably the best Martin Short performance in a long time to me probably since Arrested Development not that I've seen him much since then but um, he's definitely somebody who's aged really well I think in kind of toning down his behavior and his eccentricity to deliver a character who's both realistic and um, still an oddball but funny and yeah that's that's the only thing i got this week is in terms of like something i watched that i just really liked a lot and enjoyed yeah maybe i'll watch it yeah. we don't know what the answer to that's gonna be <laughs> right sure hey you got so much comedy coming up frank on the on the primary podcast like you, you don't want to overextend yourself with comedy well i'm one down so yeah <laughs> that's good um yeah we still got a while left i guess still a week ish plus yeah it's 10 days something like yeah that. yeah 
and they got four more in 10 days and you got another five episodes after that you got 10 comedy movies in the month of february frank <laughs> maybe more depending on these fucking spins possibly all right you have anything you want to recommend before i spin the wheel Talked about Macbeth last week, I remember, so I didn't know if you had anything this week that you wanted to. No. Okay. Um, I got some movies coming from Vinegar Syndrome, which is a company that does like (laughs) what is the name of this company? Vinegar Syndrome. Okay. What tell me about this company and tell me what they're this uh, they're this amazing company that does restorations of exploitation and you know movies in general like horror movies and whatnot okay. um, they have sales all the time their products are freaking amazing um huh. all right you get discounts when you buy like several so uh, for i don't know like 80 bucks i got three really nice collector blu-rays coming to movies that have been out of print for you know 20 plus years so huh nice excited. um so they're they're a really good company what else? Um, what what do you got common? Like, is it like a surprise or like you know? I mean, like what? Yeah, I'll talk about them when when I watch them. It's three okay. movies. It's it's a collection of a director's movies, two of which I've never seen, and then two movies that I've read about um, that are like '80s exploitation that I've never seen. Um, so I'm pretty excited to watch these digital restorations of them. <clears throat> um, and they're pretty cheap. So I'm thinking like maybe like once a month I'll buy a couple you know blu-rays or something and just start a collection of like limited edition um you know okay cool i like the idea of having them uh having them forever so you like that physical media yeah i like it because the, the packaging is pretty amazing so i'll i'll show them to you on on zoom sometime um but yeah i mean i think that like uh, it's, a, it's just a cool company, and I like supporting what's the, them. What's the name of the company again? Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome. Okay. I found it. All right. I'm going to look them up. Um, just all kinds of, like, shit that... Not that right means, now. I'm, I just pulled up the website, but, yeah. You, 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 they, 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 they got a mobile app. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I got, um... Okay, the the cover art on this shit is fucking awesome. Like, I yeah, know, they glancing at it, like they do an amazing job, and it's like really lovingly like curated. Yeah. Even though a lot of it's just you know, trash. for lack of a better word, like trash cinema. But at yeah. the same time, like you know, that's sure that's pretty cool. Like that somebody yeah. puts that much effort into it. And, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think and these covers they also really cool. do like a lot of so like they released um like a collector's edition of Putney Swope and, hmm. you know, Liquid Sky. So they do a lot of stuff that's also like art house. Um, they did a collector's edition of like Sweet Sweetback. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that they hmm. um, put like extra effort into that you might not ever see. And they release newer movies too. Um, there's a movie I've been putting off watching. Uh, called the scary of 64 or something like that it's like some fucking jeffrey epstein ghost movie that seems in really bad taste so i haven't bothered but i feel like it's sometime it's gonna happen um 
yeah, a, t- a TikTok video apparently like part of his flight log. You know, Chris Tucker was um was on his flights. I didn't know. I didn't know that one. I knew a lot of them, but I didn't know that. One. Um, I see the po- Put- Putney Swope cover. That that cover's fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's one of those things where it's like not just some random ass DVD. It's like yeah, you know, pretty yeah. cool. So no, that is no, uh, I get it. All right. All right, so I'm oh, going- I have another. I have one oh. more plug. I'm sorry. Before, yeah. so you and I are really into a YouTube channel by a guy named Wrestling Bios. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that he's done recently is started a line of clothing, um, that are just funny like in jokes from his channel. Um, but I got my first T-shirts today that I ordered from him, mm-hmm. and they're really high quality. Uh, the print's really good on them. Um, I got the Bret Hart Jam. Uh, t-shirt and uh-huh. the chin locks t-shirt yeah um awesome. and it's just nice to like support a guy that i think creates like some pretty amazing content i think you know both you and i are really big fans of his so if you like wrestling at all wrestling bios on youtube um definitely worth your time yep wrestling bios really really good sense of humor but also really informative about everything that he does he um his main series is called reliving the war it follows week to week the war between wcw and wwf during the attitude era um i can't remember how many episodes he is into it now but like he's currently in what june of 97 i think if that's correct something like that something like that june july of 97 but he's been starting it like throughout the entirety of like if you know wrestling the 83 weeks where wcw and um wwf were going head to head so yeah like and he's as 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 his sense of humor has developed and he's put more of his personality into it like he's come up with these in jokes and the jam the bret hart jam um and Davey Boy Smith's chin locks are like part of those jokes. And um, no, it's a great YouTube channel that still isn't getting the attention in the wrestling community that it deserves. And uh, yeah, so I'm glad you're supporting him, Frank. I know both of us like are one of our few, I don't know how many Patreons you have, but it's definitely one of the few Patreons that I have. Um, yeah, I, um, I have him. I do a toy review channel called toy galaxy and a magic the gathering review channel called tolarian community college um those are my three patreon supports mm. you know what and you all hear- three of them are are worth it if you're into any of those those topics okay real quick here's what we should do i don't know how comfortable you are with this you should take a picture of yourself in one of those shirts and then we can Go ahead and um, we can put it on Instagram or something like that. Okay, yeah, we should do that. All right, and then we'll and then you know we'll boost him as well, like beyond just yeah. Podcast. I mean, I'm I'm cool with that. He's um he definitely deserves it. So yeah. All right, so I'm gonna share what's on that. Okay, so I'm just gonna have to share my email with you so you don't see the wheel because you bitched about it last week. As we I'm just I'm just gonna look I'm just gonna look straight ahead. You're just gonna look straight ahead, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like something uncomfortable is happening. Mm -hmm. All right, um, that's fine. We can. So I live my life, baby. All right, because we're doing it live. Because I um. All right. 
This is the most exciting part of the week for me, I think. And the category is movies released by WWE films. Motherfucker. See, you, you're rigging this shit. I am not. That's that's what it said. Movies released by WWE Films. I can remove that from the list. Got to save it for the future. Okay. So that is removed. We're down to 56 categories. Um, So movies released by WWE Films. So I know you've seen some. Some of the horror movies, definitely. Released by them. Yes, and sometimes they're a surprise. Like, I started watching a movie the other day fucking garbage movie i can't even remember what it was called yeah. but all of a sudden it's like wwe films and i'm like what yeah and it's, it's surprising some of them god who was in it like brodus or something i can't remember it was somebody <laughs> anyway yeah. yeah um so now i can't watch that movie right well i know you've seen some of these like a lot of the early rock movies are wwe films like and there's so many there's so many of them that you can choose from but you know you can always watch fighting with my family the page story oh, that's the first thing that popped up <laughs> i wish i had never watched see no evil so i could just watch see no evil right well didn't they do did you watch you know evil too yes wow well, i watched it recently that's, that's really sad <laughs> okay um, i'll shut up now <laughs> I think I might do it based on who's in it. Actually, I think I think that's going to be my mm-hmm. my um, deciding factor. Mm. Although some of these movies don't have any wrestlers, uh, some of them don't. No, um, no, no one lives is the name of the Brodus Clay movie that I. Oh, it's fascinating. You've already watched it, but like one of one of those movies is Oculus. That's weird. Isn't it? Oh, fucking Leprechaun Origins with Hornswoggle. Holy shit. I, I'm, I'm not going to reveal anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Um, what a great segue. Talking about wrestling bios. And now we're doing this. I am not rigging anything. That's just what came up. There's two wrestling categories in the entire on the entire wheel. And that's just what happened to come up. There's one more wrestling category. Oh. Oh, it's going to be this one. No, it can't be that one. Oh, that movie looks so bad. You can, you, you can absolutely predict what the other wrestling category is because I came up with it. So I, I came up with the wrestling category. So I can't predict it. Yeah. Huh. Are you going to, you going to make me watch fucking, um, hey, don't spoil it. Um, all right. So next week, some movie that Frank hasn't seen that has been produced by WWE Films. So, oh, they it, did that Mohawk movie. Did I have you watch that? You did not have me watch that. Uh, it's it's not like superb, but so you've it's, seen it's that decent. too. Yeah, I have. Oh, that's um, Brody Lee. It's got it's mm-hmm. yeah, Brody Lee is in it. Mm-hmm. Luke Harper at the time. Yeah. yeah. God, what is <gasps> this movie? Oh, <gasps> the Resurrection of Gavin Stone. I know that was the one that I was like, oh my god. Oh my god. I can't do it. I 
at this point, I want to subscribe to a Patreon to you personally just to watch the Rever- resurrection of Gavin Stone, which is Shawn Michaels' only starring role in his career. Um, DB Sweeney is in that movie, buddy. He lends credence. He does. Oh, Neil Flynn is also in that movie. Um, it's also Blumhouse's um, like non horror. Uh, it's whatever. on Netflix. <laughs> Listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pick something. All right, all right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Next week, uh, movie Frank has a scene from WWE films. Take care. Awesome. Good night.